Tonight we're going to study the belt of truth, and uh, uh, this series on uh, spiritual warfare has is, is, been great. Um, it's, it, all of, every one of us in this room can admit that we're all struggling with spiritual warfare. And I, you know, I, I pastored for a while, and, and uh, some of the things that I saw from people was unrealistic thinking that when they were going to get saved, that the battle was over. Even I was one of those guys that when I first got saved, I thought everything was going to be good. And the truth is, the battle has just begun, okay? It really has just begun. Truthfully, it was easier uh, unsaved than it is saved. I used to tell youth groups that um, being a Christian is like getting in a canoe and going upstream. Being in the world, you're just, you're just going downstream. But to be a follower of Christ, to pick up the cross and follow him, we have to, we have to roll, roll upstream. Uh, I'm reading a small book uh, by Ed Welch. It's called A Small Book on Why We Hide. And I was reading this this morning, and uh, it really spoke. I thought it goes well. And I just wanted to say some of the things that he said before we get into the Word tonight. He said, our feelings matter. They're important uh, to know how we feel. Uh, they reveal what's important to us. Like, for example, uh, the things that we love, if something happens to them, we get full of anxiety and fear. Okay, And what we fear, too. Now, peace makes us feel more comfort because we feel like we're further away from our fears. Grief identifies with our losses, he said. Uh, if we feel up today, it's because we feel close to the people and the things that we love. But if I wake up, I'm feeling down, it's because I feel like I'm far away or I don't feel accepted or uh, maybe my wife and I, there might be some tension between her and I or I feel lonely. But the problem with feelings is they're not real. I mean, they're, sorry, they are real. They're not true. Okay, we can't trust our feelings. Okay, well, we can't trust our feelings. Why? Because they don't reveal the entire story. All right? They, they can tell you where, where to turn. They can't tell you where to turn when you feel lost. When you feel that, you, that you're never enough in other people's eyes. I don't know about you, but I've struggled that in my life. Uh, my whole life was the youngest and out of three boys, and my two brothers were very successful, and I was what they called the black sheep of the family, okay? I never felt like I could match up to my father's eyes, okay? Because they're inaccurate in revealing what is true. They can't tell you how God really feels, and you guys, that's where the battle lies in our spiritual warfare, is knowing the truth about God, okay? Your emotions tell you that you're all alone, you're far from God, um, the more painful the world gets, and we're living in a very painful world, you're seeing all kinds of things going on that makes you fear what's going to happen to the future. What if my kids get drafted? What if, you know, they, you know some, of, some of the politicians want to draft our daughters? I can't imagine my daughter having to go to war, okay? The more painful the world gets, the more alone you feel, but your feelings are unreliable. Uh, Ed Welch's point was this. The truth is, believe it or not, God is near. He's here. He's promised us. He would never let. Jesus' name is Emmanuel, which means God in it with us. I'm so glad he's in it with me. He's personal. He talks. He listens. He makes promises that he'll keep. He draws near. He wants you. Now, this is the hard part for me. He really wants me to draw near. I, I don't know why he wants me around. I, there's times I don't even like 
He runs to all of us. I don't know about you. I think God doesn't want to be around me. And the, Ed Welch says in his book, the entire Bible is about the rescue mission of, of God to rescue us. That's the gospel, guys. That's the good news. And so today, we're going to study Ephesians 6, uh, chapter 10. My, my, I have one verse, not even one verse, part A, but I'm going to read this whole text with me. So if you can turn in your Bibles or you can follow on the screen, starting at verse 10, Paul says, finally. Uh, in your Bible, you need to circle that word finally. And I'll get back to that after we read this. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his strength of his might. Put on the whole armor, and I want you to notice this, of who? God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And this schemes means craftiness. He, he, he's smarter than any of us in this room. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Men, that doesn't, this means we don't wrestle against our wives. I know we think we do. But the battle isn't with our wives. Okay, Our battle isn't with our boss. But look who it is. But it's against the rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, key word, go back to what he said in those first few verses, take up what? Here he goes again. The whole armor of who? God. It doesn't say Rick's armor. Okay? Praise God, it doesn't say that. I don't have any armor. That you may be able to what? Withstand in what? The evil day. Brothers, we are living in evil days. All right? And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Doing what? Having fastened on the belt of what? Truth. Okay? Remember, the belt of truth carries the sword of the Spirit. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I know it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It can go right to the piercing of our soul and our spirit. And there's the problems of us, Lord. We are all messed up. We are fallen men. We like to put on a, a, a play like we're cool, but we're all scared to death. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Let your word open up our hearts. Let it pierce down inside. And may we know the truth about your character. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I got these uh, nine, nine things that you, you need to see that Satan does to attack us. Number one, Satan undermines God's character and credibility. Think back to Genesis chapter 3 when Eve was uh, looking at the fruit. He said, oh, God, God's not going to, you're not going to die. You, know, you can't count on God. He knows that you'll be just like him. He tried to undermine God's credibility. The book of Job, if you read the book of Job, the whole book of Job isn't about Job. It's about God's character and what Satan did. Oh, yeah, you know, to attack Job, but he won't worship you because you're really not worthy of worship, God. You know, if you take away his family and get him sick, you're not worthy of worship, Lord. And God said, go ahead, Satan, because he knew Job loved God no matter what. Second thing, Satan, Satan attacks us to try to make the Christian walk hard. I got bad news for you. The Christian walk is hard. Jesus said this, if any man will follow me, 
let him do what? Pick up his cross. Uh, I know we got all these beautiful crosses we wear around our neck. That is nothing what the cross of Calvary looked like. It was a bloody mess. And Jesus was telling us, if you really want to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross, and it's the hardest thing to do. Deny yourself. Okay. I, I, can't, I, I love myself. I, want, I don't want to deny myself. Third thing, he confuses us with false doctrine. We're living in a time, especially in America, there's a movie I would encourage you to watch. It's called The American Gospel, Christ Alone. And it shows the heresy that has snuck in the churches today. Okay, and, and, and Satan uses heresy to get us caught up in the wrong doctrine. And it isn't even the gospel they're preaching today. It's a made-up gospel. Satan tries to hinder us in our service for Christ. I know you might have different feelings about the COVID. I know it's a very touchy subject. But I, I can remember our pastors uh, praying and saying Satan is trying to stop us from ministering to people. And people's fears, and I get it. I understood where they were. But he tried to hinder us. Uh, the, the nations, the government tries to shut down the churches to hinder us from doing the service that Christ wants us to do. He causes division in the body. Pride, you know, if you look at most, uh, if you've been involved in a um, split of a church, which has always been my fear because it doesn't bring glory to God, it all boils back down to pride. Um, Satan tries to make us, and uh, men, I struggle with this probably more than anything, to trust in myself. I can do this, Lord. You know, like if you look again at the armor that we're going to study in the next you know, seven or eight weeks, um, it never once says put on your armor. It tells me to put on God's armor. Never tells me to stand in my strength. Uh, growing up, I was never a fighter, so there was never much strength. I had buddies that were strong, but I wasn't strong. I can't stand on my strength, but I tend to think I can handle this. And the Bible tells me I can't. Satan causes us to play the hypocrite. We put on this mask. Listen, guys, the key to victory of sin or anything you're struggling with, is to let down your mask and just be real. And there isn't a man in this place that isn't struggling. And if they tell you they're not struggling, they got a problem with lying, okay? We're all struggling. You're not in it alone. And that's the problem in the church. We've played this big hypocritic thing like, I'm cool and I got it down. I'll be the first to confess, I don't have it down, okay? Number eight, Satan attacks us to be worldly. The world is always trying to conform us to their thinking. Paul told us in Romans, be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind. And we'll talk about that later in the scriptures. And finally, he tries to make us disobedient to God's word. It's, it's simple, you guys. I, I remember when I first started pastoring a church, I honestly thought I'd walk into the pulpit, put the Bible up here, teach it expositionally, and the people sitting in the pews would go, yep, I need to change. I, and I really, I really thought that would happen. I was crazy. I, I had people that approached me after church. Oh, I disagree with that. And I'd say, yeah, but this is what the word says. I, I don't care. Like, well, what are you doing here? You know, what are you looking for? So it's being obedient. And Satan will do that after us. So what I'd like us to do, Paul puts up the word of finally. Well, you have to ask that in Ephesians there. He puts up the word finally. So 
why does Paul say finally? Well, I have to back up in the book of Ephesians, and we need to buckle up our belts because we're going to whirlwind through this. But he shows us some promises about God, and our battle with truth is we don't know who God really is. I, I know I was raised Catholic, and then when I got saved, I got saved by people that were charismatic, and they taught me some doctrines that was off the wall. They, they used a lot of guilt to motivate us. And so for years, I mean, I went to the altar 65 times at least to get saved, okay? I didn't know if I was saved or not. And, uh, and, and even to this day, Satan tries to attack us in that thinking. And if we don't know the truth about God and his character, we'll have misconcept, and we can't win this battle and the warfare. So in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians, look at that scripture with me. Paul says this, in him we have redemption. In who? In God. Through, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? His riches. God's pockets are deep. They're, he's, they're deep. He, he never runs out of this. this, this uh, and this is the most valuable thing in the universe. His grace. It's rich. He's rich in it. So look at this next word, which he has lavished. Upon us. The word lavish means to be very generous, extravagant, or to elaborate. And he says, in all wisdom. One of the first things we need to understand the truth about God's character is that he has lavished his grace upon us. He has poured it out. Okay. Why? Because I'm good? Or because he looked at me and thought, I really like Rick Clawley. I think I'll do that. Not at all. Not at all. We'll see it later on. He did it because of how good he is. See, when we understand the goodness of God, we understand salvation. When I think I have to earn salvation, I, I, I don't understand who God really is. When I think I can be good enough to earn salvation, I'm totally, I'm crazy. So we need to understand and know the riches of God's grace. Next scripture is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He says, but God, and I love the word, but God, being rich in mercy because of his of great love, which he loved us, even when we were, now uh, circle this in your Bible, dead in our trespasses and sins. Let me ask you a question. What can a dead man do? Nothing. Okay. I've got loved ones that are in a grave, and I can go to their grave site, but they, 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 can't, they come, can't come out. And you need to understand that we were all dead in our trespasses. That your righteousness, my righteousness, is like filthy rags. And it's like being dead in the bottom of the ocean uh, in the, where the Titanic sunk. Okay? I can't do anything for myself. They could come by and throw out lifesavers, but I can't get up to those lifesavers. I was dead in my trespasses. And look what he said. And your dead interest has did what? Made you alive. Who made you alive? God. Okay. Um, uh, together with Christ, again, by grace, you have been saved. The second thing you need to understand, and the truth is, when we're fighting against spiritual warfare, is you can't earn it. That we are saved by his grace. And, and, and that alone. And I don't care where you've been or what you did. Or you may be sitting here tonight thinking, Rick, you don't know my life, okay? Uh, you don't know my life. And the forgiveness is God is, is he throws our sins as far as the east, is from the west, 
Okay, they never meet. And the great thing is he never brings them up again. If I was to confess a sin to God tonight, and he could talk to me verbally, and I'd say to him, hey, Lord, remember what I told you about? He'd go, nope, no, I don't, I don't remember. I don't bring it up. He's never going to throw it back up in your face. Why? Because Christ has finished it on the cross. The next verse is in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, which is our, my prayer for us tonight. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according, here it comes again, the riches, again, remember, his pockets are deep. The riches of his glory, he may grant to you, okay, and to be strengthened with what? Power through what? His spirit. Where? Now, guys, this is where we really want to go. The inner man. Not, not our outward man. Not our appearance. Not the cars we drive. Not the house we live in or the neighborhood we live in or, or where I was brought up, you know, or what color my skin is. But the inner man. That's what God's looking at. When God chose David, he told Samuel, don't look on the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. And he wants to deal with us in the inner man. So that Christ may what? Dwell in your hearts through faith. We need it. Then he goes on to say that you being rooted and grounded in what? God's love. That you have been strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth? And here it is, to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. John Wiseman and I, when we did jail ministry together years ago, I used to tell him, I'm taking a new self-esteem course. And he said, what's that? Jesus loves me. Okay, That's the best self-esteem course you could ever take. And if you truly understand, and I'm, I still don't understand it fully, I pray all the time, God, I want to know your love. I want to know it like I've never known it before. But when we truly understand the character of God is, and the truth about him and his great love for us, we, we, we won't be ashamed. We'll tell everybody, do you know what Jesus did for me? We, won't, I, we don't have to have an evangelistic class. When we experience the love of Christ, we'll want to share it with everybody. And that's what it does, and that's what Paul's praying. We need to understand that he's lavished his grace upon us. We need to understand that it's in Christ and Christ alone, and we need to understand his great love for us. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of calling, to which you have been called. Now look how he tells us to walk this walk. With all humility and gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I have to tell you a story about my wife. I'm so thankful for my wife. I've married the greatest woman in the world for me. Okay, she, God knew I needed her. And um, I'm at home Sunday because I was sick. Had a great service. Her and the kids, my grandkids, came to church and watched it. And I'm at home by myself just praising God. And, and if you don't know this, I, I run maintenance here at the church. Okay? And we have a problem up in the uh, nursery. When it rains, it floods. Okay? And it's been doing this for years. So she walks in from church, and I'm waiting for her to say, great service, you know, um, butch preacher. She didn't say that at all. She goes, how long have you been ma maintaining Maranatha? 
And I said, why? She goes, how long? I said, six years. How long has that nursery been uh, flooding? And I said, well, I start giving excuses. And she said, if I was Mike Trout, who's my boss, I would fire you. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, are you going to get a job if I lose my job? You know, but she was correct. Now, the hard part is to be humble, especially when our wives tell us, right? It's okay if Butch calls me out or Bruce or uh, somebody else, but my wife telling me I'm wrong, you know? But it says to be humble. Paul says, to which you have been called with all humility. And then he tells us to do this in gentleness and patience. And this is, some, some of us is easy to love. And there's other people, you know what I mean? The sandpaper people that, you know, no matter what you do, you're like, I don't think I'm loving them like Jesus wants me to. Okay? He says, love them and eager to maintain what? The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Satan wants to divide the body of Christ. Why? Because we're stronger together. Okay? When, when we are united, when we are all together for one purpose, which is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a, lying, a dying and lost world. Okay? But we get off track. We start arguing about, we don't have coffee. How come they got coffee in the room down there, but we have to come down here to get coffee? Or, you know, why, what, you know, the air conditioning is too cold. I'm just telling you all the stuff that I hear every, every Monday or Tuesday. Okay, but we get off on that, and it makes us bitter against each other. Guys, what really matters is the glory of God and the gospel being preached. And we're in a place, and I want you to know this, we're in a rare church. This is rare. You can go try to find another church that's teaching the word of God like our pastors in this church is, and you won't find it. Unless it's maybe one of the ones that we, we branched, branched off with us. But it's hard to find today. And it's getting even worse. It's more about preaching about myself and not preaching the word of God. So the thing Paul's telling them here that we need to make sure that we keep the unity in the church. Now look at Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Paul says this. Put off your old self, which belongs to who? Your former manner of life. I no longer, if you knew me before I knew Christ, you, you, the, the manner of life I had was, was bad. Paul describes it. It's corrupt and it's the deceitful desires. Look at guys, I, I know we all battle with lusts. We all battle, some of us are battling with pornography. Some of us are battling with drug addiction. Some of us are battling with, I mean, I, we can go down. There's all kinds of sins. Okay, but we're all struggling with something. But here's what I want you to see. It's those, those desires that we think are going to satisfy us. Okay, they're deceitful. They're a lie. They're not true. Man, if I could just have this or if I could look at this, if I could watch this movie, if I could just get this drug, I'll feel better. The truth is, it's a lie. It's a deceitful. And it comes from your old man. And once you got saved, God deposited his spirit in us. And now there's a warfare going on. Like I told you before, I never battled with sin before I got saved. I just did it. It was like a normal way of life. When I asked Christ into my life, all of a sudden, I no longer enjoyed getting high. I no longer enjoyed getting drunk. I no longer enjoyed going to wild parties. Okay, because Christ was living in with me. And so the deceitfulness is still there. It's the old man's trying to tell you, this is going to satisfy you. The truth, it doesn't. And to be renewed where? Now here's the battlefield. 
in the spirit of your minds. Tonight we're talking about the, 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 the armor of truth, the belt of truth. And it's in our minds where this battle is fought the strongest. And he tells you to be renewed. I'm still renewing my mind. I've been saved over 45 years. But my mind is still messed up. I still go back to my old ways. I still believe the lies of Satan. And I have to come back and say, no, Rick, that's upside down thinking. Don't think that way. And he says, put on what? The new self. What he's telling you is to fold up the old garment, put it away, put on the new garment, which is Christ. And after the likeness of God, now here's the great news. It's true righteousness and holiness. We, we can't get righteousness on our own, guys. And the only righteousness we get is from Jesus and God the Father. Um, as a Catholic boy, I used to go to confession on Saturday night. Forgive me, Father, for I sin and get. And I tell me, you know, I didn't come to church on Sunday. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I talked back to my mom and, and uh, a few things. And then I'd walk out of that confessional booth and we'd go to the bars in Kent right after. What good did the confession, what did that do? That's not true holiness, but they made me think if I did that, I'd be all right. True holiness comes from Christ and Christ alone. So we need to put off the old man, and, and I'm not telling you you're going to get it perfectly. The old man's not leaving. I've talked to some young men who've asked me, uh, Rick, um, when do you quit lusting? I said, well, it's not at 66. Okay? I'll let you know, all right? You're going to fight it the rest of your life, okay? You are, I think. Until the day Jesus calls us home and we come out of this old rugged body and we step into the heaven in that new body, which I hope I'm just a little bit taller than Bruce there. That would be great. It would be God's great humor, okay? Um, we're going to battle. And to follow Christ, this is what he means when he says to pick up your cross and deny yourself, okay, and put on the whole armor of God, and start living the new life. Now, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall. You know, Satan's going to hit you, but you got to get back up. you got to confess something. you got to find somebody you can trust, that you can pour your heart out to, that you don't have to be afraid like you're acting. Just be honest with. Isn't it great to have a friend that you're honest with, that you hey, I'm struggling with this, and they don't go, I can't, I can't believe you're struggling with that. That they go, I understand, brother. Okay, I understand where you're at. Because we're all in this together. So put on the true righteousness and holiness that is in Christ and Christ alone. And then finally in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. I have to stop here. The word beloved always gets me when I see it. It says, be loved. What? Be loved. By who? By God. A lot. I don't know about you, but I can't allow myself to be loved. And it tells us here, therefore, be imitators of God as what? Beloved children. You're, you're God. You, I, I love my, my grandchildren, uh, my little grandchildren. They, they, they just steal my heart. They can have anything they want when I see them. They're beloved by me. And that's how God looks at us. And then he tells us to walk in love. How? As Christ has loved us, he gave himself up for us. And it's a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. To love others as you have been loved. Okay, If you haven't experienced the love of Christ, then you can't, you, you can't give away what you don't own. You know, if somebody's got a, a, a real nice car out in the parking lot, I can't go out and say, hey, you know what, you can have that. Okay, It's not my car to give away. And if I haven't experienced the love of God, 
I can't give it away. And there's times I have to say, Lord, remind me of what you forgave me of. Help me to remember that I was lost and undone, that I didn't know you, that I was dead in my trespass sin. And because of your great love, somehow, miraculously, I have found the Lord Jesus Christ, or he found me. When we remember that, then we can love someone else. Then Ephesians 5, 14 through 21, it says, For anything that becomes visible is light. Now, in verse 11, Paul says, Take no part of the unfruitful walks of darkness, but expose them. Then in verse 14, he says, For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk. I want to pause here a second, guys. Satan is so subtle in lying to us. We were talking at the table. We were sitting at how he'll lie to us about what money will do. Like money will make you happy. That money will make you feel secure. That you'll feel like you got it together. That's a lie. The more money you have, the more anxiety you usually become. Because you're worried about how to keep it. Or you're worried about if people are their friends with you just because of your position with money. Okay. Some of the NFL football players, the problem they had was when they dated girls, they didn't know that if they really loved them because of who they were or because of the money they made. So he tells you to walk carefully how you walk. Don't be unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Don't waste your time watching movies that, that um, cause your sensuality to, to rise, that you have to turn that stuff up. And it's everywhere. You can't even, I've never noticed a car that they're, they're made. my wife will say, did you see that car? I'm like, nope. She goes, well, what were you watching? I said, the girl in front of the car. Okay, because that's what they do to us. It's, we're constantly being bombarded by sensuality. And so Paul's telling us, don't walk like you used to, but start walking wise. And as Bruce has been telling us, challenging us, to put on the whole armor, engage in the battle. Open your eyes, guys. We are in a warfare, okay? And it's not just here and there. It's everywhere you go. The TV, the media, the music, they're pounding it into us. They're trying to conform us into the world. And he says, be wise, making the best use of your time. Now, how can we use the best of our time? In God's word, maybe praying with our wife. Come in the men's ministry, getting involved in the church and serve. I always tell, um, I'll, I'll die here because if I could go home and retire, the idle time is the devil's workshop for me. If I just lay around the house, I start thinking, I wonder what's on TV. You know, not me. I can't do that. I have to stay busy. And that's what Paul's telling us to make the best use of your time because why? The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Debauchery describes my life growing up, crazy parties and wild nights is what it means. But be what? Filled with the Spirit. Now, the problem with alcohol, and if you drink, I'm not going to sit here and debate about, as Christians, can we drink or not. But here's what the problem with alcohol is. We think it's going to comfort us. Right, well, if I just have a beer tonight. Now, I can't have one beer because one beer leads to 1 a.m. for me. Okay, so, I, and I can't stay up past 9 o'clock. So I'm not staying up past 1 a.m. But 
The problem with alcohol or, or anything, drugs or whatever battle we use, whatever thing that eventually turns into addiction, is we think it's going to comfort us. It doesn't. It doesn't. The only comfort is here. Be filled with what? The Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that we have, that the world doesn't have. Okay, I always look at bars, and it's a re- bars are a replacement of church. The guys are in there fellowshipping. That's all it is, is fellowship. And the center of their attention is what? Alcohol. Okay, well, we have this comfort in Christ Jesus. And he says, be filled with the Spirit. And now here's how we do it. Addressing one another with what? Psalms. Okay, if you're, if you're struggling and, and you're down and out or you're looking for comfort, the book of Psalms is one of the best books to go to because David was just, he opened up in there, okay? If you're battling with depression and stuff, David's got Psalms in there. Psalms 42 talks about how long, oh Lord, when you feel all alone. You'll understand that other people are struggling. I think in America, we don't know how to lament. And God gave us the lamental Psalms so we can learn to grieve and lament and understand our hope is not in this world, but it's in God's, the next world. He says that we should speak to one another's Psalms, hymns, okay, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts. One of the reasons we do worship on Sunday morning is that, and our, our worship needs to be just like the Word of God. Everything we do here, we need to have the Word of God in it. So as we sing these songs that are, that are like that, it's, that's after the Word of God, it's putting that in our hearts. And as we come together and sing, and I'm not a good singer, but God still wants us to sing. And he tells us to sing and make melody in your hearts. Um, to who? The Lord. If you're complaining about the music or something here, just change your attitude and start saying, Lord, I'm going to sing this to you with your heart. Doing what? Giving thanks for what? I'm th- giving thanks always for what? Everything. Lord, what, what does everything mean? Everything. Yeah, but, you know, I'm supposed to give thanks for this guy that I get Everything. To God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting what? To one another in reverence for Christ. This is what a spirit-filled life is like, okay? So Paul was telling the Ephesians, look, you need to understand who God is. He's lavished his love upon us. He, um, um, he loves you. He, he's near you. And he goes down, everything I was saying here. And then he starts in Ephesians 6.10. It says, finally. Okay, so after Paul's telling you, this is who God is. Okay, we're in a warfare, and you got to renew your thinking. Finally, he says, do what? Be strong in who, guys? Who? Be strong in who? The Lord. Okay, and in what? The strength of whose might? All right, so it's his strength, it's his might. We can't do it on our own. Um, be, coming out of Catholicism and then going into the charismatic movement, they really used to teach that they could cast the devil out, okay? You know, just you know, just rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus. Listen, guys, Michael the archangel didn't even try to contest with Satan. Satan was a, an archangel at one time. He was one of the most powerful beings in heaven, okay? He's way smarter than us. If he walked in this room, he could rip us to pieces if it wasn't for the grace of God. And he studies you. He's been studying us. He's been studying the human race for a long time, and he knows where to attack us at. So don't think you can beat him on your own. 
You need the power of God and his, his armor on you. You won't conquer any sin on your own, you know, unless you do what? Turn to Christ. And there's going to be certain battles that you struggle with sin that God wants you to pray every day about it. Why? Because it makes you dependent upon him. Okay? And if you, th if you think you can do it. So my first point is we need to know the truth of God's word. Next, look at verses 11 through 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. I'm not fighting against you. You're not fighting against me. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces, forces, and evil in heavenly places. We have to put on the whole armor of God because we're going against an enemy we don't know anything about. But he knows about us. But the scriptures tell us who God is and how we can trust him. So the second point is put on the whole armor of God. Why? So you can stand. Look at verse 13. Therefore, now Paul sounds like he's repeating himself. He is. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand, stand firm. Paul's telling us, if you got the whole armor on, guys, we can't just go to battle with just, this. if I just put the belt of truth on today and went out to fight, and what Bruce had showed us tonight that he talked about shoveling snow, it just made such sense to me. But some of us are only, only have the belt of truth on, or maybe some of us only have, oh, I got the sword of the spirit, I'm carrying it with me. We have to put on the whole armor of God. And so that, why? So we can stand firm on God's truth. That's the third point. And then Ephesians 6, 14, he says, Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Okay, that belt that the, the Roman guards wore, the reason they wore it is they wore like a, a tunic that hung over. But when they went to battle, they put that belt on and it, it brought everything in. Look at the scripture in Hebrews. Paul's talking to runners, or the writer of Hebrews is talking to runners. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight of sin which clings so closely. Okay, think about that, that same sin that you've been struggling with your whole life. Just, you don't have to tell anybody, but think about it. Paul's telling you, again, what's he telling you to do? To lay it aside. Take off that garment, put it aside, which stops us from running. With endurance, the race um, clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, keeping our eyes on Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of God. We need to sur surround ourselves with the truth of God's word. When Satan comes, we have to constantly bring up the word of God, the truth of it. And they'll study that next week as they study the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So finally, in ending tonight, I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And again, you guys, Bruce didn't pay me to say this tonight to promote our pastors. I'm so thankful for Butch and Bruce and Eric and all our pastors, our youth pastors, and, um, and our, the, our guys that teach us ABFs, that they do this, what Paul says. But starting in verse 1, Paul's talking to a young pastor who's scared to death, uh, hasn't been in ministry long. He was timid, very timid. 
Okay? And Paul tells him in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I charge you. This is like a, a, a general getting the army ready to know. This is what we got to do. He said, I charge you. Now, this is a scary part. In the presence of God. And any of us in this room tonight, if you teach the word of God, you need to memorize this verse. Okay? You need to hide this in your heart. Because we'll be held accountable if we didn't do this. Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, look what he tells Timothy. Do what? Preach what? Preach what? Word. We are living in a time where the, you, you go to other churches, they, they don't even open the Bible. They don't live by what the Bible says. They just do whatever they want. Our job, and our job only, isn't to be cool and slick and delivered in a real neat way. God is not looking for slick celebrities, okay? And you don't need uh, Jimmy Fallon's up in the pulpit. He's looking for men who will do what? Preach the word. Um, J. Vernon McGee was an old pastor. Some of you young guys won't know who he was, but he used to be on the radio, and, um, and he still is, and through the Bible. But one of the professors that I sat under at, at Moody told me he worked for J. Vernon McGee, and they would let the, the young pastors preach at that college. And he said uh, that James Vernon McGee would sit there, and as the boy would go up on the stage to preach, he'd grab him, and he'd say, preach the word, son. Preach the word. Okay? And wherever you are in this church and wherever God has used you to, to teach the word, make sure it's that we teach the word because it's the truth. There is no truth anywhere else. The world has tried to get rid of this book. In the schools, they don't even want the Ten Commandments in our squares. Why? Because it is the truth. The world will tell you there is no truth. But this is the truth. So Paul tells Timothy, teach the word, all right? Now he's telling us that this is for all of us as believers, Okay? Be ready when? In season and out of season. You're going to have times in life where, you know, this past year, I can honestly tell you in my life, I've been out of season. I feel like I'm out of season. But my job is to be ready in season and out of season. How do we get ready? I had a young man tell me, Rick, I feel like God's calling me to preach. I said, great, get ready. You know, start preparing sermons. Don't, just don't wait for the door to open to preach. Get them ready, and God will open that door for you. Okay? So he said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Now look what he tells us to do. Now in the time we're living today, if you reprove somebody, they're offended. Get over it, guys. You're going to get offended the rest of your life. You're not going to make it. I've been offended left and right. You, you just got to get over it. But he tells us to reprove, okay, to rebuke. Um, I'm thankful for some pastors in my life. There was a pastor that really paid a real big role in my life. His name was Bill Mitchell. He went home to the Lord last year. But um, he was concerned about me and my wife because he knew I had a drive to be in ministry. And uh, um, I had, uh, was in a class one night, and I let, stayed after. I said, Bill, I want you to know you really described Bonna tonight in, in this class. And you'd have to know Bill. He just shook his head at me. He said, what are you saying, Kalali? I says, that scripture, Vonna really needs to study that. He says, let me ask you a question. He says, if Vonna's praying for you to change, and you're praying for her to change, whose prayer is God going to answer? I said, well, of course mine. He said, sit down, Kalali. And he, 
he, he, he chewed me a, a new one. He rebuked me. He said, why don't you ask God to change you and let the Lord change Vana? Well, as I started praying that prayer, I began to realize there wasn't much to change in Vana, but there was a lot to change in me. Now, nobody tells her. I admitted that, okay? okay? But he rebuked me. Then he tells us to exhort, to constantly encourage. I don't know about you, but I need encouragement. Come on, Rick, keep going. The enemy's coming after you. We are, we are not at the end. We're, we haven't hit the finish line yet. Keep on running, brother. And there's some of us in this room today. You, you feel like you're not going to make it. That's what we're here for. That's why we meet on Thursday nights. Why? To let you know you're not the only one. Okay? That's why it's so important for us to fellowship together. Okay? So uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Now here's the hard part. With patience and teaching. I don't know if you've taught people for a long time, but there's going to be people that you talk to all the time, okay, and they keep coming back with the same problem. And you're finally going to say, are you going to get this down? Maybe not. Our job, and I, I don't have patience down yet, so you guys can rebuke me on that, but patience and teaching, okay? So look what he says in, in the rest of this verse. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Do you believe we're in that time today? Yeah. Just turn on the evangelists on TV. Uh, yeah, yeah, they don't teach them. But they'll ha have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit what? Their own passions. What I want. And will turn away from listening to what? Here it is. The truth. Circle it in your Bible. They turn away from the truth. And they wander off into what? miss. As for you, he's talking to Timothy, always be sober-minded. Now, I know about you, I'm an emotional guy. Anybody who knows me, if you watch a Browns game, you don't want to watch a Browns game with me, because I get, I'm, I tell Bruce every Sunday, Monday, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Okay? And then they suck me back in. Okay? But he's telling Timothy to be sober-minded. Don't let your emotions drive you, Timothy. Okay, examine your emotions. They're telling you something's wrong. But let the truth of God's character, let the truth of God's word drive you. Be sober-minded. Now look at the next part. Endure what? Endure what? He doesn't tell us to get out from under it. He tells us to stay there. Okay, James says the same thing. Count it all joy when you fall into what? Divers' temptations, knowing this that the trying of your faith produces endurance. See, God lets suffering, and I know a lot of people don't like to hear this, especially in the world today, but God allows suffering because he's sanctifying us, okay? And he wants us to endure suffering. And suffering's not easy. We're living in a time, we're living in most churches where they're telling me, tell me how you can fix this. God might not fix it. Paul had the thorn in his flesh. God never took it away, but God did tell him, my grace is sufficient. Okay, endure suffering. Why? So you can do the work of an evangelist. Okay, uh, there's some people that have the gift of evangelism, but we're all called to evangelize. And you know, and if we put down, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not tearing any of this down, but I took classes on how to evangelize, and they would tell me, to come up to guys and say, do you ever think about spiritual things? If I would have said that to the guys I worked with, I'll tell you what, I can't tell you the words what they would have told me. 
But I'll tell you where I related to guys the most is when they started sharing their problems with me, I listened. I listened to them. And then I was, they would say, well, how'd you overcome it? Well, I haven't overcome it yet, but I do know the answer to it. And I got to share Christ with people in ways by being real. And that's what Paul's telling us. Endure suffering because in suffering, you can relate to other people that are suffering. Okay, endure it. Why? And do the work of an evangelist. And then, guys, I want to challenge you this. For you that are called to ministry, I'm going to tell you this. The only thing that's going to keep you in ministry is your calling, nothing else. But all of us in this room, every man in this room has a calling. God has called you to do ministry. And it's to tell our wives, our children, our grandchildren, <coughs> our loved ones, and make sure they see the example of Jesus Christ in us. And then he says this. Fulfill your ministry. And the only way we're going to do that is by knowing the truth of who God is and his true character. So in ending tonight, we need to know the truth of God's word. Put on the whole armor of God so you can stand. When you got it on, stand, be men. And then finally, wrap yourself with God's truth. And that's a daily battle. You don't take that back. My pants, as I get older, I think I need suspenders, but my pants just don't stand up anymore without my belt, okay? Um, put that belt on. Wrap yourself with the truth. When Satan tells you you're not loved, tell him he's a liar, okay? When Satan tells you that God's far away, say, hey, but you know what, you're wrong because the Bible tells me that God is near. And use that truth to just fight the battle and go ahead and be a glorious living to, for Christ's glory and for, for his praise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Apostle Paul and what he wrote here, that I know you breathed that into him, and it's amazing. Father, forgive us of the false idol we have made of you, how we think you're one thing and you're another, not, and you're not. Help us to know who you truly are. Help us to stay in your word and let your word renew our mind. Help us to find brothers. If there's people in this room tonight that don't have anybody, that they can find someone that they can meet with and be honest with and be encouraged. And I pray that we as men in this room would stay in unity and that we would just glorify you and that you'd make this ministry so powerful in this area that we could reach others for the glory of Jesus Christ because it's in his blessed name we pray. Amen.